Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Kazaza. It's Sunday morning in Indianapolis. I know what time it is, and I know that we have a 5.15 p.m. game and not a 10-something p.m. game. Sweet 16 on the line, West Virginia against Syracuse. Nice little Sunday afternoon. Chris Anderson, nothing to whine about, huh? No, much better. No worrying about, you know, catching Bob Huggins for an interview at, what one, what was it, 1 o'clock in the morning after oh. the last game. And then, you know, you I, I was going to say, I think I went to bed at 2-something, and then you still had multiple stories going up after I went to sleep. Um, it'd be nice if we didn't have to do that again. No. This one's in... Um, the NBA arena, which I don't believe they're splitting that up. Let me tell you about the split in Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, it was really cool. We talked about how big that was and that they were going to have a split. And I I was kind of somewhat aware of that. It never really dawned on me. And then having to actually cover a game there, I was like, I probably should know how this is going to work. It's so big in there. It's it's football field. And more than the football field, it's how you accommodate, you know, however many people can fit in there, 70, 80,000. How do you get them in? And they have huge um, – walkways and annex areas so you can have those people filter in filter out there's parking all around the stadium but the field's the field it's 100 yards and there's adequate seating around it but it's so big otherwise because of how they filter all the people in and out of there i would imagine pretty efficiently i can't remember hustling in and out of there during the final four because i came in the vip press entrance back then but yeah but when you walk in this time it's everything's different because of covid so you walk in and you're not allowed in until an hour before tip thank goodness they meant an hour before the announced tip so I was outside um, just kind of waiting. Then I was told they weren't going to let people in until 8.50. I was like, well, surely that's not true. And evidently, like 8.44, they were telling people, no, 8.50 is 8.50. So you go in and you do your temperature check and your screening and all that stuff. And then you're walking through, in the NCAA tournament, an absolutely empty concourse area. Just There's all the concessions and everything. You're walking through. And then they literally feed you through like a, a suite. And then you're going down the, the – um, empty stands into your seat on press row. And it's like one of the best seats I've had for press row because they only let five people per school cover a game. And in the past, and you know this, like if you, if you were on a site, there were like four games, you could watch all four games if you wanted to, you had a seat all day, not now, but it was really cool because you walk in and like, it's really noisy in there and you can tell there's a game going on, except you can't see it because you're confined to one half of the arena. And there's this huge partition, like on the, I guess it would be the 50 yard line. And on the other side, it's Purdue against North Texas playing. And it's an Indianapolis-ish team. Like, Purdue's about an hour away. A lot of fans in there. Um, North Texas is the underdog. So there's, there's a good thing going on. You can tell it's a good game. And then, like, the teams that are playing in the second game, Moorhead State and West Virginia, come out. And, like, you could tell it. They're coming out and like, yeah, man, it's, it's noisy. The crowd's in here. There's some energy. And you walk out. And I get to see the look on, like, Jordan McCabe's face and Sean McNeil's face. Where are we? There's no noise. There's all this noise. There's no people. Like there's all this excitement, all this, all this energy. There's no people. What's going on? It was a very weird thing. I wonder what that was like for them because they're in an absolutely empty part of the arena. The the house lights weren't on. It was dark, and everybody was watching a game on the other side of the wall. It it was surreal. It was really strange. But um, in there, it was very much like a normal gym. Like because they had a cut in half, and I would say, I mean, probably like a third of the entire available space. It was really normal. It was it was like a college arena. It was like a a small tournament in the preseason arena. It wasn't like a 75,000 seat stadium and both teams shot it well enough. I don't think that was a factor at all. Maybe different today though. So I got, I got a couple stories here. One pushing back on something you just said, uh, 
when we were in Cleveland, uh, West Virginia, you and I were both in Cleveland. We weren't working together at the time. Uh, West Virginia was in the, the tournament games in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. You said it at those games, that one, I guess it depended on w- where you were working or who you were working for or whatever, but I had to share a seat with somebody from Notre Dame. So like I could sit in my seat on press row for the West Virginia game, but only for like 20 minutes before the game started and 10 minutes after the game ended. And then I had to get out of there and go sit somewhere else. Cause I had to share that seat with a Notre Dame guy. And a lot of guys were, were like that. And they were even more, this is like the opposite of what's going on right now, where there's only five people per school and you get to just hang out. But at that Cleveland one, I, I, I feel like they just approved everyone. Like, cause there were people that were ready to, who was that guy? The school that, cause it was at the Cleveland Cavaliers arena, but it was like accurate. Like the Mac was in charge of, you know, press passes. And, and, and I can't remember if it was like Akron was in charge of it or whoever it was, but there were people screaming at that guy because <laughs> Wichita state was in that, in, in those, that set of games at that arena at the same time. And there were people who spent, I remember one guy, it was, it was not like a major newspaper, but he, they came from Wichita and he was screaming at him that they had spent thousands of dollars and he didn't even get a seat on press row. Like he paid that his, his company had paid thousands of dollars for him to fly up to Cleveland to cover these games. And he had to sit in the back in the media room and watch it on TV. And I was like, I, I lost my absolute mind, but that was just, I guess that was just how many people they had approved and didn't really think it through. And, you know, I, that was different times back when you could have 500 media members crammed into a, a space, a, a space under the concourse in the, and figure it out later. It was kind of wild. Um, did, did you cover the Brooklyn game against Stephen F. Austin? No, somebody, uh, God, who was that? It was uh, somebody that used to work with us. Uh, might've been, I think it was Ryan Van Buren, okay. uh, was working with us at the time. He, he was, might've been living in New York. I think he had just finished his internship, just finished school and was back up there. And I think he covered it for us. It was a mess. It was really like, that's an NBA arena, but they didn't have all that because of the season still going on. I don't know if they had a game the night before or the night after, but it was really cramped and confined in there. Um, that was an outlier. All the other ones, they, they try to get big arenas that have a lot of space. So you could honestly, so you can get as much media as you can, because you're going to have, you know, eight teams at a site and right. a lot of media there. This is, this is just totally different. And to be honest with you, I haven't come across a lot of other, <clears throat> a lot of other media or, um, schools i think i'm in i think i might be in the same hotel as at least the family members for some schools like i'm pretty sure Rutgers either stays here or a lot of their families here um but you can't tell like because everybody's just kind of bubbled off i doubt Rutgers is here but that's like the only whiff of that i've had is i've had a lot of like Rutgers fans and it seems like family around here too i also got um i also got pulled into some sort of a um well, like a salon room yesterday i was going to get coffee in the morning in the lobby in the hotel and someone said hey you're up next and I said, huh? And I, I walked in and someone pulled me up and like they were going around the room during presentations. But they also had coffee. Uh, well, and they said, can I get you anything? And I said, yeah, a cup of coffee would be great. And then they said, OK, well, you're ready in five. And I said, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I took the cup of coffee and I said, hey, I got to take this call. <laughs> and then I just went right back to my room. <laughs> so nice. they called on me sometime later. Now, now, in my defense, I was working on three hours sleep, so. Um, I was, I'm allowed to have or take some liberties there, but it's a very busy hotel and about 10 minutes in the arenas and all that stuff. So it's not quite NCAA turn. I can get away with some shenanigans like that, which is good because, uh, in my past shenanigans were the, 
the norm for tournaments, so I'm not gone too far um, from from what I knew. Um, speaking of, used to know a team called Syracuse in the Big mm-hmm. East, and and here they are, an ACC Big Twelve clash of Syracuse and West Virginia. It seems strange to even say, but here it is. And man, you could just see this game coming for for whatever reason when you saw the brackets coming. Um, they always seem to find Huggins, uh, maybe because he knows so many coaches or he has a history of so many programs. But certainly West Virginia, Syracuse, Bob Huggins, Jim Beheim. That's um. I don't know if it's like a, a headline game in 2021, but certainly for the respective schools and I think for television, people are going to watch this and they're going to see two good teams go at it and try to figure out who goes to the Sweet 16. People will be rooting for and probably rooting against coaches in this one here. Um, marquee matchup, no, but still, it's a pretty cool thing for for fans of all schools. And I think even college basketball this season in general to have two recognizable names and head coaches uh, going into the second weekend. I, I felt like I was... Uh in one of those aging things, like just staring at that Zoom call when somebody asked Jalen Bridges about Syracuse, and he was like, I don't know. I don't even remember them playing WVU. And I was just like, oh, my God, has it been that long? Um, you look back, it's been nine years. Uh, <laughs> but that was – I guess those were a couple one-off. Like, I, heck, I guess maybe this is also because I'm getting old. I, I can hardly even remember those games. Like, but I'm looking at the, the, the history – and it's, you know, a couple one-off games, one in 2011, one in 2012, both at the Carrier Dome. Um, but obviously, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I guess, uh, yeah, that's right. Were they, because they were, they had to, it, it wasn't even, obviously, it wasn't around Robin in the Big East. So I guess they were still, like, Syracuse just got lucky and got two, two home games against West Virginia in a row to end uh-huh. it. But, um, man, I feel like thinking about that, that it's been that long since those two teams have played and. But I think it is cool. I think people are going to like it. I think it's, it's one of those things that you, you think about with a lot of college football teams and stuff like, you know, they're talking about Nebraska and Oklahoma playing in football. And that was a big thing recently about Nebraska, Nebraska trying to pull out of that game. But even though I think the expectation is that Oklahoma is going to win by 30, it still has this, man, that's cool. Oklahoma, Nebraska, take me back for, you know, a couple hours one afternoon and and there's going to be a lot of people that are looking at this West Virginia Syracuse game, even with Syracuse being an 11 seed, and thinking, "Ah, oh, yeah, good old Big East day." Like I've just closed my eyes and pictured it's in in Madison Square Garden for a minute. So I, I think this will be an enjoyable one. And I honestly, I feel like that putting it at that 5:15 slot was a lot of respect that that it was the marquee game for them, kind of getting it on CBS at 5:15. Yeah. Yep. Get that 60 minutes crowd, Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, trivia for you. Yeah. How many times do you think Huggins and Beheim coached against each other before West Virginia? Oh, I don't know. So 77 to 2007, right? Yeah. Granted, Huggins is only in Division One since 85, so you're still talking 22 years. Really good well, friends, Nike circuit. I'm guessing I'm guessing something like zero since you're asking me this question because that zero. I mean it seems I crazy. That's I wild. Believe it. I could I could see them. I mean I'm, they must have been in like preseason Maui or someone like that tournaments Alaska Maui and just never found each other. Um, but like never a regular season game, never a postseason game. I was surprised by that. Huggins one in five against Syracuse as the West Virginia head coach. John Beeline was zero and six. Huggins gets yeah. one in his first year, his first game against Syracuse. He wins it. But man. Five in a row for Syracuse, 13 out of 14. And Beheim, I believe, is 
22 and six. I forget. I had that somewhere, but um, man, 13 out of 14 against Syracuse. And here's the weird thing too. If you, you haven't seen Syracuse maybe in the Coliseum or in a intra conference matchup, it's still Syracuse. <laughs> it looks the exact same. I mean, maybe a little bit different here and there, but like if you haven't seen them for a while, if you were in a coma and you woke up and you're like, Oh man, this is the big East game in the semifinal or the, the second round here. <laughs> you would not be surprised to see Syracuse. It looks a lot like Syracuse typically does, right? Yeah, it does. And uh, obviously everybody's going to talk about the two, three zone and this and that. And they are, they run the same thing. Huggins says, you know, they, they mix it up. They, he, he, they, uh, Bo, as he calls him, I didn't. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, but Bo switch, switches it up, adjusts his two-three zone some, which we've seen over the years. I don't know how. I, honestly, I've I've watched a couple games this year now that we saw West Virginia was going to play him, but um, it it it's adjusted. It certainly looks different than it did ten years ago, but it's still a two-three zone. It, it still is tough to shoot over. I know everybody kind you think of the zone. It's like, oh, let's shoot over it. Syracuse ranks in like the top thirty, top thirty-five in the country, and three-point defense. Uh, they don't foul a lot. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like those are the two things I think we both brought up for Moorhead State that were concerning is that Moorhead State doesn't foul a lot. West Virginia likes to get to the line a lot. And West Virginia likes to shoot threes. And Moorhead State didn't give up threes very well. They were like top 25 in three-point defense. Syracuse is the same way. Top 10 in, you know, fouls committed per possession, I believe it is. And then top 30, top 35 in, in three-point defense. So West Virginia is going to have to get creative, just like they did against Moorhead State, find different ways to score and, you know, maybe get a 35-5 and five from Deuce McBride again. That's yeah, all. Sure. What the heck? <laughs> Are you surprised by West Virginia minus four in an, a 3-11 game? Mm, no, I because because it's a 3-11 game. I think it's, you know, it, I wouldn't touch that line. And I imagine Vegas probably thinks that, and a lot of the projections maybe have Syracuse not not favored, but it's closer, like one or a pick 'em or something. But just because so many the betting public's going to see three eleven and be like, "Ooh, I'm betting on that three. That should be a win." Because um, Syracuse is tough, and it, it's their strengths are West Virginia's weaknesses and, and stuff. So there's is not a lot of vulnerabilities here. And and again, I was worried about it with Morehead State. I just hope that. West Virginia doesn't try to just sit there and shoot over the zone and just hope they shoot out of it because that is not always going to happen. Yeah, this is why when we we talked about this, I guess it would have been Selection Monday podcast. I would have, if I had to pick one or the other, I'd much rather play San Diego State in the second round. I just yeah. I don't like one day prep on on a zone and the fact that like you you could tell the players knew about Syracuse right away after the game. Why? Not because they've seen a lot of Syracuse, but because of the two three zone. They just know that and it's in their heads. And I just think that it's. It's almost like a six opponent, and and you're playing the game before you're playing the game because you're thinking about it last night and you're thinking about it today. And if you struggle, if you start like three of eleven or something like that, I, I've just seen it. I've seen it take strangleholds of good teams in person. Um, the 05 and 06 West Virginia offenses were really good and had bad days against that team. And I've seen good West Virginia teams under Huggins. Just, I, mean, I don't think any of them were as skilled offensively as this team, so it's a hard comparison to make. But I've just seen them not do well. And I think, as you're saying, things that West Virginia does well or will have to do well don't really match up. Um, and you get to see guys, man, I can't make this 20-foot, 9-foot three-pointer, but like maybe I can make this 22-foot three-pointer. Maybe I can make this 24-foot three-pointer. And then all of a sudden you can't get the ball inside because you're too far from Culver, and next thing you know you're down 11. And I know that West Virginia can come back in games. I've seen it happen a million times this year. It's so much harder against a team like this. It's hard to make up an 11 or 12-point deficit because they don't play fast, and they're going to make you play slow on their end too. So it's it's very tricky. It's a 
it's going to require kind of adhering to game plans and, and doing what you know as opposed to what you do. It's a bit of a difference here for West Virginia because they're the do-what-you-do team, but you have to do what you have to know to do here to attack it because it's so different. Um, nevertheless, I'm encouraged because I, I thought that their approach, their energy, steadiness, whatever, their, the way they played Friday was extremely encouraging. Um, what did you think about what you saw first 10 minutes or even full 40 minutes against Moorhead State despite – I mean, let's rattle off things here. Um, playing a team that had won 19 of 20, playing a really good defensive team, playing a team that, um, or playing as a team that lost three or four, playing as a team that hadn't played in more than a week. I think the most impressive thing to me was not that first 10 minutes where they built a lead, but that after they had blown the lead, they kind of just sucked it up and, and, and grounded back out until they pulled back away. Because that's, that's tough, man. Your first NCAA tournament game, some shots go in, you're feeling good, take the lead. And then for like a, a, a brief stretch there, everything's just going wrong and that team's coming back. And, you know, when you have, what was it, one minute, three minutes, whatever Gabe played off the bench in a blowout at Arkansas, that's your NCAA tournament experience up until this point for the entire team. And here you are blowing a lead and, and you start thinking about it. You start thinking about it. You're getting worried about it. You just witnessed you know, a, a 13 seed beat a four seed, right? When that Purdue was mm-hmm. a four seed uh, right before your game. And you got, it, it's got to be in the back of your mind when you start blowing that lead like that. And and the way they just said, no, 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 not happening. And, and, and push through it until they finally broke more head state and were able to pull away for the win. I think that was what impressed me the most. Yeah. Led for almost 36 minutes and we're up by more than 10 for the final eight. That's, that's good. I mean, yeah. it's, it's maybe what a three is supposed to do, but I don't think West Virginia checks all the boxes of what a three, what a three is. They have some bad moments and bad stretches. They're prone to, they're prone to come, I you know, outside the line sometimes, but they did okay there too. Biggest takeaway for me was that I think, well, as it relates to today, Bridges was encouraging because um, mm-hmm. he's going to have to play well. But just to see Culver grow up on the floor in that second half, um, he's going to be a massive part of a win or a loss today, I think, to um, explain why the final 10 minutes were good for him and what he has to do against the Orange. Because, Chris, uh, people don't know this, but you played the game before. <laughs> well, I think it, it, I mentioned it afterwards. It was inc- not encouraging, but it, it, you heard Huggins say, you know, he didn't really mince words here. He didn't get too harsh on him, but was just like everything that it was way too obvious. It was everything that that I said that every fan said. I don't think anybody disagreed with anything. Like everybody was in agreement. He was out of control mm-hmm. in that, like just like that. He's had that issue before where he just gets the ball and and goes way too fast. And I think he just needs to get that ball, take a breath, and then make a move because they were immediately doubling down on him. But the fact that he didn't hesitate for like a half second, he never noticed it. And he's spin dribbling right into a double team and not even noticing it. And then he finally calmed down, collected himself got better position and the game was easy. And that was, you know, before the game, I said, I I hope they just start feeding it into Culver and then looking pretty dumb for about 30 minutes. And then, yeah, like you said, that last 10 minutes, that's gotta be encouraging too. Cause if he finishes that game, like, you know, four points, seven rebounds, and, and he's had to be on the bench for like 25 minutes of the game. Cause he's practically unplayable. That's not great. Even, you know, for the second round. Like he's he's going to be coming into the Syracuse game with with a bad mindset, I think. And the fact that he was able to finish the way he did uh, might send him back on the right track because you're right. 
West Virginia is going to need him. Uh, they're going to need him down low. They're going to need him grabbing rebounds because, um, yeah, you, you know where that? I'm going with this. Yeah, let's okay. get into that because it's all the all the tropes and the you know, hey, this is what zones are. They do this, they don't do that. And one of the big things is zones don't rebound well. And a lot of times over the years, we've seen people think that, and then Syracuse has still been pretty good rebounding the ball. They're terrible, absolutely terrible. Mm-hmm. at rebounding the ball and i mean i'm what is this this is team defensive rebounding so when they're on defense the percentage of missed shots that they get it, they rank 323rd in the country so the offensive glass is open and and you nailed it with the Jalen bridges thing that's him it might not be culver right there by the rim especially when you're shooting you know if west virginia ends up shooting over the zone there's going to be some longer rebounds and that's going to be on Jalen Bridges and Emmett Matthews and, and those guys coming off the wing trying to grab those rebounds. And I think, you know, if, if we look at the end of the day and Jalen Bridges has seven rebounds and Emmett Matthews has six, and Taz Sherman has four, yeah, I would have to think, you know, you might be thinking, hey, look at turnovers and points. If I see those numbers, I think West Virginia's won. Agreed. And the wings have to have a good game. They're going to have to wear out a path in that baseline because I think Osaboyan could be effective. I think he's going to have to maybe score or take some shots, but if he's going to get that ball in that high post, he he can do some things to hit cutters, yeah. which is good. Uh, Culver just can't make the, the big mistakes there. I'm I'm extremely curious to see what they do with Culver because once, once that ball gets into the middle, it, it really does become almost man to man. Like they'll, they'll try. I'm assuming they'll trap him or they'll send a second guy to him. Um, they just don't have a guy who can stand chest to back of Culver. They just don't. Their, their biggest guys are 6'7 or 220. Um, their 6'10 guys are 200 pounds. I'm not sure that's going to work against Culver. Now, you're going to get some help from a wing or a guard or whatever, but they really almost match up once it gets the ball in the middle. So you're going to have to get out of line at that point. And this may be coming too, too technical for some people here, but if Culver gets the ball, you're going to have to move around and get into his eyesight and just get away from a defender. So whoever's open is going to be good. Um, kind of thought Brutus got into some trouble the other night because they were trapping. They were taking his guy and trapping the ball, and he wasn't doing a whole lot to get open. And then he started moving a little bit, and then once he curled around Culver on that one when they trapped the ball up top, he curled, went to the basket, smart, got a dunk, and that was the end of that. So it's it's certainly within Bridges, and that was a good thing to see. Like He, he got going, and he was active. I think he ended up with five rebounds, but he was just around the ball so much. Again, he's good at that, and, and instinctual – Whatever, you know, he's getting loose balls because players deflected, but he had three runouts, which were pretty important. And what does that mean for rebounding? Nothing really, but it just shows that he's kind of got the the speed and the length to get to balls. And that certainly applies to defensive rebounding, offensive rebound. And, you know, <laughs> Syracuse's rebounding rate is bad. It, it's not very good. They give up a lot of offensive rebounds per game. So you're going to have to attack. It's going to be there. It's it's very similar to me to the to the turnover thing. Um, more head State turns the ball over. They're going to do it a lot because that's what they do, but you can also manufacture some of that. Same thing with rebounding. Um, Syracuse is not a good rebounding team. West Virginia has been good and bad at times this year, but can do it. So go take advantage of that. Create that advantage. And, you know, if, if it's plus 10 or something like that, I don't. I think you really like West Virginia's chances if it's even or minus. And Syracuse is a minus rebounding advantage team this year, so not something they do. Then, then it comes closer to West Virginia's um, – early exit out of this tournament, I would think. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Um, guard play. The danger is that West Virginia might do a San Diego State and hoist 43s. I don't know. <laughs> you would hope not, but they certainly have some shooters and guys who can think they do it. And they're going to be open because if, if Culver is good and he's scoring inside early or getting rebounding early, they're going to cheat off the perimeter. They just are because, again, once that ball gets inside, it, it's not quite his own anymore. And they abandon somebody to, to double or match up or something like that. So you're going to have room. And if you can get open, you can do it. But um, apart from three-pointers, what do McBride, Sherman, McNeil have to do? And maybe, you know, maybe even McCabe, too. I don't think, I think you'll they, see Kenny Johnson today. No, I, I think they got to um, one. You you got to get in the gaps when you're facing the zone, and that is right. It's going to be hard to come up the middle because typically when the zone it's two up front and they're split to the side, but one picks ball and comes up and kind of it's like almost like a one one three. But you got to you got to swing the ball and you got to get in the gaps. That's the key to beating a zone, and that this is where. If my biggest concern is West Virginia just settling for hoisting up 24-footers yeah. all day, my second biggest concern is West Virginia's point guards or guards, all of them, dribbling too much because you have to swing the ball around to make that zone move, and that's when it starts to break down. Um, it is when you reverse the side of the court. That's when you're going to catch guys out of position. That's how you beat a zone other than, you know, is finding gaps and swinging the ball. And you can't do either of those things if you're standing around dribbling. And West Virginia's had an issue with that all season long. Bob Huggins, it, Bob Huggins talks about it post-game, I feel like, almost every other game. And it's – there was a the, – the San Antonio Spurs, when they beat that LeBron Heat team in the NBA Finals, was like 2012, something like that, they had a saying – of three seconds or less. And it wasn't to shoot, obviously. You're not shooting the ball in, in three seconds of the shot clock, but it was pass it in three seconds. Like, do something other than dribble in three seconds or less to try to keep that ball moving so that you're not just standing around dribbling because then that gives that zone time to focus on you, shut you down. So if West Virginia can take that same mindset, three seconds or less of you're either driving to the basket or passing, passing or shooting in three seconds or less, I think that's the key for the guards. You think we see any sending NGI today? No, I, I don't. Maybe at the end, if it, it ends up being a blowout, I think you're going to see a lot of Culver, a lot of Gabe. I honestly, I, you know, he was great Friday. <laughs> he was really great Friday. And earlier this year, I said, somebody, 
Somebody tell Gabe that he is not Draymond Green because, you know, for those who don't know, Draymond Green can't score, but he is great on defense and catches the ball out near the perimeter and scoots around, makes passes, does handoff ball screen type things and gets guys open for shots. And he looked like Draymond Green yesterday doing exactly that. And and in, in my mind, I'm picturing him in that high post area, you know, between the foul line and the top of the key, catching the ball there. And guys running off him, him passing it out, finding opposite wings wide open, finding guys in the corner, or even, and it's going to sound strange, going against the zone when you think, oh, yeah, get four shooters and stretch that zone out. Even high-low with Culver, mm-hmm. like it wouldn't surprise me because what's going to happen is when you get it to the high post, when you get it to the free throw line, like you would do with Gabe, the center back of the zone, the guy in the middle is the one who's responsible for coming up and defending him usually. And when he does that, that opens up right there by the rim and Culver can seal, you know, hold the guy off and have the inside position to get that drop pass, that that high-low pass, and, and get some easy buckets. So we haven't seen that Gabe-Culver combo much, but and it sounds counterintuitive, but keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on it. I wonder about Njai because I could see them getting stuck offensively. And... Maybe maybe Osaboyan's getting baited into being an offensive player and he's not. And maybe Culver's just not plugged in or whatever. Maybe there's foul trouble, what have you. But Enjai will come in and move and set screens, and you're going to have to be active at that five spot because that's how you shift a little bit, and that's how you kind of get a head start on someone in the zone if you get a ball screen or something like that. And you can get the middle, you can get to the wing. I wonder if he plays, let's say, a three-minute spurt, he's going to have to be effective. And, and maybe he just wakes everybody up and they do a couple things, and, oh, that's how it's supposed to work, and it can it can get going too. But I think you're right, your core seven, eight players – um, again, I, I would be shocked if we saw Keetrian Johnson based on his cameo on Friday night. And uh, Although Tash 3 does have a basket in the NCAA tournament, Gabe Osaboyan doesn't. I remember <laughs> I, that. <laughs> I, I just want to make note that, uh, you know, you never want to, you know, be too focused on small sample size. But we've seen Thweet go like, what, like uh, two months without playing at all. And he's played a couple spurts like in very important games down the stretch here. And yeah, this one was in garbage time, but he also got, what was that? The Texas game or something where he had a stretch of, of where he played for a few minutes and West Virginia was like plus nine when he was mm-hmm. in, then he gets in for one possession in the tournament game and should have had an and one. So, you know, it's little things that you, you just tuck away for, for later for us to remember when, you know, we give a glowing preview of the mm-hmm. team next year and start mentioning Thweet being in the rotation. His per 40-minute averages are through the roots right now. <laughs> yes, they are. I mean, especially in the, in the postseason. I mean, goodness, you have to take that seriously. Uh, personnel for Syracuse, it begins, obviously, with Buddy Beheim back-to-back 30-point games. Um, they have it, – it's it's a strange roster. Like, I just keep going back to to what I see, and, and you don't you see guys who are 6'10", 215, 6'10", 210. They don't play. Um, their big is going to be – boy – after Janai Broom, I'm gonna have a hard time with this one. Merrick, I think it's Dolajal. Is that yeah. right? Six ten, yep. two hundred. And uh, he's not really like I mean he is, I guess, but he's he screens a lot for him. He does a lot of ball screens for him, but uh, post up, eh, maybe not. I, and I think I think Culver will be all right with that matchup. I mean, he's gonna have him outweighed by like sixty pounds. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's um, something that you know. Again, and he's. he's this is the other part of that is that he's 6'10, 
And the next tallest guy, like in their rotation, I think is like six six, six seven, maybe. Quincy Garrier, six seven, yeah. two twenty, and he's and, about and, a nine rebound a game guy. Yeah, I was gonna say Garrier is is the leading rebounder, and then there's a six five guard or wing that's the next leading rebounder, and then you get to the six foot ten center uh, for the rebound. So he might not be your traditional kind of center because they they. He screens some. He they kind of run the offense through him a little bit, where he he can get some assists. I, I yeah, there it is. Yeah, well, he's got over three assists a game, which mm-hmm. is pretty darn good for you know a six ten big man. So um, it's a little different than you might think when you think of a six ten guy in this in college basketball. Uh, we have Buddy Love once again. It's not healed. It's Bayheim. But West Virginia's seen the the shooter who's kind of on a tourist stretch. Um, he's he's been good for a while, you know. And what's kind of scary about Syracuse is that their past seven, past ten game projections that you see sometimes you'll see sites break down like the what have you done for me lately? They're a they're a top twenty team. Um, that's not great news if you're West Virginia because once they got healthy and got back in the court again, they played pretty well. I think they're maybe six and two in their past eight, something like that. Um, they've been good and and he's been on fire too. Who draws him? Because is it McBride? Maybe. Do you put a bigger guy on him because he's six six? I wonder how they're going to match up that one there because he's a he's a tough guard. I have I have some thoughts. So I'd I'd love to go McBride because I think McBride can pester him. But I he's you'll wear him out if you go McBride. I mean you're going to wear anybody out. But there there is somebody who is. I'm Sean McNeil is who I'm thinking. You also don't want to wear him out either, but he, his his defense might be more important than his offense today because his footwork on the perimeter in, on defense is amazing. And like I don't feel like people talk about it enough. Now, there's been times, and uh, I can't escaping me what game that was, but where his, his feet are amazing, he just got to keep his daggone hands up, mm-hmm. uh, keep his hand in the man's face so they don't shoot yeah. over him, which will be – something important with uh buddy Bo over here and uh i don't know i mean god i could I, if i really wanted to be annoying i'd put gabe out there and just be like gabe sick him go hmm. and and let him go but if you do that then you're gonna be running the too big uh roster uh, you know a lineup because you can't have somebody else you know guarding the 610 guy or the 67 wing uh, if you have Gabe out there pestering the living daylights out of Buddy, here's so here's the answer. Your question is I'm not answering your question. I'm just. I think it'll be McBride. Options. I think it'll be McBride. I do, but I, I wonder. I mean, because I'm not sure that like Sherman or McNeil, McNeil probably could. McNeil's in person is a bit bigger than Sherman. I was surprised by that. And yeah, you can you can tell that he's got the wheels moving on defense now. That's good. But they really don't have a great guard, a great defensive player apart from McBride on that. So that's that's going to be tricky. But the other thing is too is that Alan Griffin's six five. Like those are both big guys, and you know, so could Matthews handle it? Because they typically put Matthews on someone who's a pretty good player. I just haven't seen Matthews in a lot of one on ones against a guard this year. Bridges, I wouldn't put him there. Um, so I don't know that's that's going to be an interesting matchup, and because the, they're going to have to, because he's going to get he takes fifteen shots a game, and half of them are three pointers. So that's pretty good. But the other thing is too is that Griffin takes twelve shots a game, half of them are three pointers. Um, Gary A's inside, he gets eleven shots a game. That's, I mean, to me, like that's that's their three man monster there, and it's a it's a guy, it's two guards who are going to move around and, and shoot threes fairly well. I think Beheim's at thirty nine percent, Griffin's at thirty seven. Um, the the guy who, the guy who who worries you in March, it, it's not Beheim or Griffin, it's not Garrier or Dolezal, it's Joseph Girard, because 
that guy gets nine shots a game. <laughs> and and he's just shooting 35% from the floor, I think 32% from three, but like it's within him. And I think if you're paying too much attention, he just seems like the guy that you're you're talking about the, the season in April and going, I can't believe that Gerard guy hit six threes. Or you're talking about you know the 10-year reunion. Man, we could have made the Sweet 16 that year, but Gerard had 18 <laughs> out of nowhere. That's a guy that spooks me a little bit. I'm not sure if he can do it. And then and then Kadari Richmond suddenly looks like he's alive and is playing well too, made some shots. They I mean they have guys that I think if you pay too much attention to them, they're going to give you problems potentially. But it's really like a four-man gang on offense just with the way they, they get their shots and everything. And then Dolezal just kind of cleans up and gets rebounds and, and easy ones there too. Um, it's funny you mentioned the Gerard thing because I was like, who? Wait, what? And then I go back and I pull up his game log and it's exactly what you're saying. Like one, I'm like already dismissing him. Two, I go back and pull up his game log and, and there it is. It's like 6 two, twenty-one. Three, two, eight, twenty-one, mm-hmm. six, two, twenty-three. Like uh, as far as points per points in these games, it's just like he's at he's nowhere to be seen for two or three games, and then goes for twenty. Uh, like, I okay, sure. So you're right. Someone's winging a Budweiser across the room at six thirty tonight. It's not my fault. Okay, <laughs> it's not my fault if he gets four threes on you because you're not ready for him there too. Um, and I guess just just into this here. Um. The, to, to, to wrap up, well, before we wrap up there, do you, do you think, this is my, one of my three things, I think, three things I know this morning. If they, if they, I feel like if they win or lose today, it validates no matter what. Like, if they lose, frankly, everything that they did since January 1st is kind of hollow. Because even before Sheboy left, this is a team that was supposed to get to the second weekend. I think even before the two Oklahoma State losses, perhaps even after that, once you get a three seed, this is a second weekend team. It is. And if you lose to a Syracuse team that hasn't changed and has been so consistent throughout the years and just does what it does and did it better, then I, I feel like this is kind of an empty-ish season. Um, did a lot of good things. I get that. But you're also looking at a coach who has one Elite Eight in 14 seasons. You're looking at um, – I mean, you're looking at a core of players, even their oldest players, who really if, – if you really count what they've done, they've beaten – Texas Tech in the Big 12 tournament, they've beaten Baylor at the end of the regular season, and they have one NCAA tournament win. I just wonder, like, if it's if it's that bad. And I hate to, like, pop the balloon on a team that has been through as much as this team has been this year. And, and honestly, it's done an awful lot. You can be complimentary without being mean here and saying that. And then conversely, if they win, I kind of feel like, hey, this this team actually is going places. The coach earned his paycheck. The players did continue to push through everything that happened on and off the floor this is a sweet 16 team. Is it too much to say that, you know, you you can dip your quill, quill in the ink, so to speak here, no matter what happens today? Uh, no, I don't think you're crazy for that. I, I don't think so at all. Um, because you're right. If, if this, it, it's going to feel like an entirely different, like it's one game, but losing in the second round. And even if, you know, West Virginia ends up losing in the sweet 16, getting to that sweet 16 feels so drastically different than losing in the second round because you're right in the way that you describe it. I believe you just said what one, one elite eight in 14 years. Mm-hmm. Is that how you phrased it? That's a final and, four. And that's, and that's how you phrase that it with a loss. And then with a win this weekend, the other way to, t- to uh, phrase it is what five sweet 16s in, mm-hmm. you know, the last whatever, 12, 14 years. However, and so it, it, it will change the perspective. I think it'll change how people look at what Huggins has done over these years, even though you're staring at it going, 
oh, it's just one game. Like, how is that at the big difference maker? But you're right. It's going to kind of dictate how we tell this story and maybe kind of how we tell Huggins's time at WVU up to this point, which is not fair, but it, it, it very well could do that. Yeah. I mean, unfortunate because who knows last year you can't count that, but like, I just feel like that it would be, I don't think anybody would be happy with the season that they lost today. So maybe that's not even that bold, I guess, too. Uh, two more. We'll finish with this, too. Uh, I'll see if I can get this right this time. I'll pick Syracuse. You pick West Virginia. Okay. Key, key player, key stat, and then the landmine to avoid. Syracuse, I'm going with Gerard. Uh, I think the other ones are obvious. They, I mean, sure, I could say Bayheim or I could say Griffin or, or Garrier, but I just think, like, if that guy's quiet, you've, you haven't, you've avoided surprises and you really want to avoid surprises. Key stat, um, I think West Virginia's three-point attempts. Um, however many that Syracuse can encourage. I don't want to go into accuracy or makes, but if Syracuse gets them above 30, I think that's bad news, um, even near 30. And then land of mine for Syracuse, that's a tough one because they, they just don't get themselves in trouble. They don't turn over. They do get rebounded, out-rebound a little bit, but they still win games. Um, foul trouble for Buddy Beheim. I could see McBride taking charges. I can see Osavoyne taking charges. I could see them doing some things. And if, I don't know, maybe I have a hard time believing that guy got the second whistle in the first half. But like the landmine, the thing that they can't step on, they can't have happen is, is some type of foul trouble to Buddy Beheim. So give me those three. Key player, um, rolling it back with Deuce McBride. And it, I'm not even talking about a 35 and five again. I'm talking about being the leader of that, you know, being able to dictate what his offense does so that they don't do exactly what you just said, which was hoist up 30 plus threes. Um, and, and he can kind of control that to a point. Obviously, if guys get the ball and they want to shoot, they're going to shoot. But he can kind of control that. He can he can get in the paint. He can make the offense look different than stand around and hoist. And like I said, uh, the three seconds or less, don't just stand there and dribble, swing it around, swing it around, swing it around. Um so he he's my key player, and again, you mentioned he, he may possibly likely end up as the guy guarding uh, Buddy. So got that one too. Um, key stat: West Virginia plus seven in rebounding. And that's where I'm going to set the line here. Uh, again, let it off this kind of analysis of Syracuse talking about how they truly are terrible at rebounding, and you go back and look at their losses. And it's the other team out-rebounded out by five, by 12, mm-hmm. by nine, by eight. So it, you got it. You got to out-rebound them. You got to get those extra possessions, get those extra shots. And the landline for me, I'll try not. I mean, it was going to be, you know, shooting too many threes. That, that's going to be a thing. But the other landmine is to – you can't let Buddy Mayhem get hot because – he is, as you noted, on fire lately. I think it was, was he 7 of 10 yesterday or in the previous game? Yeah. Uh, like 5 of 9 before that, 6 of 9 before that. But there are a lot of games. You, you, you see that stretch. And you're like, man, what is he shooting? 45, 50% from three? Like, nah, 39%, just like Sean McNeil. And he kind of has a games like Sean McNeil where he'll go 6 of 9 and then 1 of 8 and 1 of 7 and 1 of 6. So there is a way you, you, and the way that Syracuse plays and the the games that they play, it correlates highly between him going off 
and him being shut down and, and how his team performs. So I think if you can kind of force him into the one of those two for seven, two for eight kind of days, that's the landmine. You know, like you know, because if he goes six of nine, I think West Virginia might be losing by ten at that point. Yeah, past five games, fifty-five percent from the field. 50% from three, 67% from two, 93% from the foul line, <laughs> uh, 10 assists, six turnovers, and by the way, just seven personal fouls. He's averaging 26 points per game in the past five games. He's been he's been on a burner right now, so that's yeah. good. Um, any other games interest you today? Uh, today, I want to see what Baylor does. Um, well, that's a horrendous second-round matchup, by the way. It is. It is terrible for them. I, I, I don't think... That because Wisconsin has trouble with rebounding, and I don't think that's Baylor's truly their strong suit. And they would have been, it sounds crazy to say, but I think they would have been much better off facing off against UNC than they were Wisconsin. But, um, I don't know. I, I, that That's a game I'm going to watch closely because that's a team that, um, man, I, I didn't want to touch it, like as far as like, you know, placing some bets or making some predictions because. That spooks me how close that line is because I don't know if you saw it, but Vegas doesn't have Baylor as like a big favorite here um, against That's Wisconsin. Seven, so, right? Yeah. So by the way, it's it's ten twenty, and DraftKings has Syracuse West Virginia off the board, and the line was at five and a half when it went off the board. Oh, so is it five and a half? So everybody's everybody's betting on West Virginia. It, Mike, do we not know something here? I'm going to have to hang up. I don't have any texts. So that's <laughs> good. Uh, final question. Field or Shaka Smart? Who's coaching Texas next season? Oh, God. <laughs> that's that's uh, a bad, bad mood right there in, in Longhorn land. Yeah. I, just, and, I wonder if I wonder if Chris Del Conte is going to want to do a football coaching search and a basketball coaching search. But, man, that's... <laughs> that's that's the game that he, he you're so you can't lose and he lost i mean obviously you can't lose that if you're a three to a 14 but to a young up-and-coming coach down there um and then i don't know that i feel like he had a year to make a run and he did everything but make the run this year and i wonder if i wonder if that was any type of a condition for him this year it's gonna if, be an interesting decision if they hadn't won the big 12 conference i would have i would predict that he's getting fired like tomorrow but the fact that they won the, the Big 12 tournament, excuse me, not the, the you know regular season, but the tournament might buy him another year. But it, something's been off there all year, man. We've, we, we've, I, God, I, earlier this week, I went on the, the, the Big 12 for XM Radio and they said, which of the Big 12 teams do you think is going most likely to lose in the first round? I said, Oklahoma State had got the toughest matchup out of, out of the higher seeds. And, but I think the team most likely to get upset was Texas because they just, at times you feel like they're a top five team and they should be a top five team. And then other times they look terrible. I mean, just like in our, in, in West Virginia's game against somewhere, you know, they go up by 20 and then they're trying to punch each other in the huddle and blow that game. Like that, that was their season in a nutshell. I just have a hard time buying into teams that blow 20 point leads at home. Yeah. Call me crazy, but yeah. here Oklahoma state's in a better position than Texas, but Texas, again, if you, if you think you're going to fire Shaka smart, just do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, just like why? I mean, that's kind of what they did with Tom Herman. Like, okay, you know, bowl win, maybe, but no, you know, you're going to fire him eventually. You might just do it. So I wonder. But again, just to do that back to back, I don't know what that's a stigma for ads or whatever. But I just wonder. It's going to be an interesting thing because he won't be unemployed for long either. Like somebody will make room for him because he's a good coach. I just wonder if he can go further, higher, do better for longer at Texas right now. Seems like the answer is no. But well, that's a problem we don't have to worry about. Um, all I have to worry about is being at. 
Farmers, no. Bank. What's what's the name of this arena? Bankers. <laughs> Bankers House? Life. Yeah, Bankers there's, Life. There's like six here. I'm looking at right now. There's all these different arenas in town. Yeah, Bankers Life Fieldhouse. Um, only time I let the Bankers Life, I guess. <laughs> and then we'll wrap it up here. Um, plenty going on pre-game, post-game. I'll be back probably by myself after the game for another riveting post-game podcast, and then plenty of content coming up. Any surprises up your sleeve, Chris? No, uh, as I say, up on the site right now, we got pro day highlights from TJ Simmons, uh, some recruiting jacked. updates with TJ Simmons. <laughs> Absolutely jacked. Uh, yeah, why why wear a shirt when you when you look like that? Um, and yeah, like you said, more preview stuff. We're about to post up a video from CBS about um, some of the guys at CBS Sports HQ talking about this is going to be in a quote epic matchup between WVU and Syracuse. So they, oh. they got high hopes for a big game here. Should be good. Two good coaches going at it. Um, again, this feels like it's going to be 40 minutes. Evan Miyakawa has it at 79 to 75. Mm. No, 77, 73. And he's been pretty accurate this picks in his projection so far. So, again, probably something tight within that that striking range of the point spread, whatever that may be right now, provided they play a game um, that is expected like this. It'll be I don't mean okay. provided they play a game, period. That's not what I was trying to say. Yeah, I was going to say, easy, easy with the uh, VCU stuff yeah. fresh on our minds here, Mike. Provided we play a game they're anticipating, this should be probably one that goes into that final media timeout with plenty of drama. Um, I don't know. feels like it probably couldn't be any other way. But until then, I am Mike Kazaza. And I am Chris Anderson. Talk to you later.